conference is now being recorded. Great. Good afternoon. It is Thursday, January 28th, and this is a special call of the Executive Girlfriends Group, and we are focusing today on the entrepreneur, uh, or those of you who are uh, currently in corporate jobs and who are interested in becoming a corporate escape artist. And our special guest today is Sandy Abrams, and Sandy is the author of a book which I will let her tell you a little bit about, and she also is the founder of a company called Moisture Jams. So if you aren't uh, brave enough to leave the corporate world, you might want to at least check out Sandy's product. (laughs) Sandy, why don't you give us a little bit of your background? Sure. Um, I majored in broadcasting in college. I always had a passion for um, both behind the scenes and um, as well as like reporting news and um, I worked. Um, I, in, I interned my way through college in radio stations and television stations, and um, it was really my senior year in college. I interned at CNN on Capitol Hill, and I realized that being in the newsroom was not for me. <laughs> um, I, I loved a lot of other aspects about news, especially. Um, I, I never really thought I would be a corporate person because I didn't like the nine-to-five, I loved the freedom that um, news allowed. Um, So I um, graduated from college, and I moved to Los Angeles, and I ended up, my first job that I could get was in a public relations firm. So I worked there for about a year, but I was was pretty much a gopher secretary and sitting at a desk from nine-to-five, and it was very painful. Um, So I left that, and I started selling real estate. And I loved it. And that's what I did for a few years before I had my light bulb moment and became an entrepreneur. Oh, I love that uh, that metaphor of the light bulb moment. So, so what was it that flipped that switch for you? Uh, who that you know had you looking outside of what it was uh, at that time, safety and security? Yeah. To this world of the unknown. I. Um, like many entrepreneurs, I found myself in a position where I needed the product that that was my light bulb moment. I had really dry hands when I was in my 20s, which is, and it really bothered me. It was embarrassing. I didn't have any sort of skin um, skin problem like eczema or anything. I just had really dry hands, and it was embarrassing. And one day I was with my grandmother, and she said, you know, there's been this beauty secret. It's been around for generations. It's really simple. You slather on like Vaseline and you wear these white cotton gloves and it really helps to heal your hands at night. And she gave me the pair and I tried it and it was good, but this particular pair kept falling off and it was very cheap and thin fabric. And I could see that there was something to the concept, but this glove wasn't working. So I ran around Los Angeles, which is filled with thousands of beauty supply stores, and I could not find a better glove. So I said to myself, I cannot be the only person with this problem. And that literally was my light bulb moment. I said, I think I'm going to make this glove. (laughs) Wow. So once you made that decision, uh, what were the, the steps that you had to put in place to get you started? Well, a lot of people get caught up in the big picture, and and at times I did. I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm one person with one idea. How am I supposed to turn this into a business where I'm selling to hundreds of stores and manufacturing the product and marketing it? And, and then I took a deep breath, and I kind of came back, 
and I started one step at a time. And this was back in 1993. There was no Internet. I had to literally pick up the phone. I had to literally pound the pavement. And I just step by step um, learned about fabrics and pattern making and manufacturing. And I did it slowly, step by step. Now, you... Um, obviously, with, with not having the Internet available to you, um, did you have counsel from people who told you that you needed to start with a business plan versus starting uh, from the product definition side? What I did was really I went to the bookstore, and um, I, I, I bought a lot of business books, and I am much more creative than business. Some people have you know, both sides of that brain developed. I really... I'm not a legal person. I'm not a numbers person. And when I start in some of these business books, I got overwhelmed by issues that I didn't need to know about at that time, like, you know, employee issues and financial analysis and a lot of stuff like that. So I kind of, I, I took a step backwards with those. And then I did, I just kind of made my own um, binder, which is really what my book, what my book stems from, which was, um, just I, I just made my own plan as my business plan. I, I just kind of figured out where what I needed to do, and I wrote those steps down, and I followed my own plan. Um, now, remind everybody of the name of your book. My book is called Your Idea, Inc. And so it really is the story of, of uh, your journeys plus uh, the, the practical things about actually putting together this binder? Yes. It is, um, it is the story of my journeys and my advice. Um, it's really a 12-step program to other people. As I said, I'm, I'm condensing. <laughs> now, 12 steps has another, <laughs> another implication. <laughs> yes, but it just happens to be 12 steps that I kind of just condensed everything. That this is for the people that do feel overwhelmed and are more creative without that business background. My book is for the first-time entrepreneur that just says, just give me these steps where I can follow what I need to know now in the beginning stages. Because I feel like as your business grows, your mind also will open up to those other issues that you need to learn about, and they'll seem, you'll feel a more sense of urgency, and it's easier to grasp and understand concepts that are foreign at the time, but once you see the need for it as your company grows, much easier to learn and implement. Well, one of the things I love is on the cover of your book, uh, the slogan really is, no MBA, no money, no problem. Now, you know, uh, Peggy and I have both started businesses that pretty much, uh, because they were service businesses, didn't require a lot of capital. And, and uh, Cecilia, I think you guys had to have some capital because there was some technology behind what you were doing. Uh, now, Instinctively, I would think that starting a business where you were manufacturing anything or creating a prototype actually would require some money. So how did you fund the different phases and, and walk us through the different phases that your business went through? Well, everybody has a unique situation with, with finances and with funding of a new venture. I was lucky because my product is an inexpensive product to manufacture. So I really bootstrapped. I, I started, um, you know, very small. I would make a few samples, and I started. I used credit cards at the time, 
Um, my husband Been there, was, done that. <laughs> yeah, I filled them up, and th- this was back in the day where I would get a new credit card in the mail every two weeks. So I would open another one. I remember and, those days. <laughs> yes, those, those were the good old days. Um, but I really was able to, once I... I um, designed the pattern, and I had some cut, and I had a few dozen of them uh, sewn. I gave them away, and the response was so positive that um, I would just go to a local beauty supply store or um, a cosmetics store or a salon, and they would buy a few dozen of them, and I used that money to then buy more fabric. And so I just put every, every penny that I earned back into the business, and I still had my credit card debt for a little while, but um, I didn't. I never really took, you know, a business loan out until years later. So, Got it. I, I, yeah, I think that, and in my book, I do discuss briefly that, you know, the bad news for entrepreneurs today, of course, is that it's very tough to um, to get funding, and you know, family and friends are probably going to be your best option, and. In if a you way, still though, know anybody who has <laughs> That's true. But I also feel like there are some advantages of starting in this down market. Like there oh, are yeah. manufacturing companies that wouldn't talk to somebody um, with such a small minimum a few years ago, and now they'll welcome an entrepreneur that wants to start small and maybe grow with them. Um, or you can you can uh, utilize an attorney or an accountant that went from a big corporate firm to hanging their own shingle, and their hourly rate is a fraction of what it was with a big firm. Oh, absolutely. So you, can, you know, I hadn't thought about that point, Sandy, but that is really excellent. Um, you know, because it, it's very true. Uh, times are different from every perspective, and. Yes. Uh, you know, even in my work here uh, uh, that I'm doing at, at Kennedy Space Center, as we were looking at the 2010 marketing plan here, even for a, a large company that has a you know a big advertising budget, they were saying how much farther their their advertising dollar stretches than it used to because airtime, uh, you know, for commercials and such is uh, you know just not in as much demand, and so you can get a lot more for your money. Yes, that's true. Very interesting. Well, let's turn a little bit to the book itself. So what made you go from building a successful business to writing a book to help other people? Well, over the 15 years, and I still have the business, but over those years um, at a dinner party or something, somebody would hear what I did and say, you know what, I have a good idea too. I just have no idea where to get started. And so I started writing out like a little outline for people because I loved hearing that other people had a good idea too. And I always said, look, if I can do it, you can do it. I feel like, you know, life experience is um, really important. Since I didn't have a, a business background, it never really dawned on me that I needed one. I just kind of got started, rolled up my sleeves, and that's what I tell people is that, you know, if you don't have a business background, it's okay. We're all uniquely qualified to be entrepreneurs, and passion and a great idea are can be a really powerful combination. Yeah, I mean, uh, do you do you really believe that though? Because I mean, honestly. I I have uh, uh, built uh, a company, and you know, we uh, hired a number of people to come in and work on a business that that was an entrepreneurial venture, a startup, and they came from corporate backgrounds. Right. And they didn't adapt well uh, because as an entrepreneur, sometimes you have to make your vendors wait 
60 and 90 days to get paid. And I, you know, I, and they found that really, really difficult to deal with. And one of them came from a very, very large, uh, you know, Fortune 100 company. And I said, just out of curiosity, uh, you know, how long do you think it takes, you know, company X to pay their payables? And, you know, I mean, the fact of the matter, it's, it's exactly the same timeline. And in fact, even more, some of my longest uh, paying clients have been, you know, Fortune 50 companies. And my quickest paying clients are, are the entrepreneur who actually gives me a check on the spot because they, you know, maybe they're afraid that they won't be able to if they wait. Right. I don't know. Right. But I, I'm not sure that I agree that everybody has it in them. I, and I think, you know, you really need to look at, at how important security is to you because I think that's really the gating, the gating factor and, and also how important it is to have uh, life scripted. Because, you know, in, in corporate life, uh, even though there are variations in what happens, you know, pretty much it, it's, it's fairly predictable. Um, you know, but as an entrepreneur, uh, you know, you have to be able to literally turn on a dime because you don't have the luxury of waiting and seeing how things play out. You have to retool right away. Well, that's right. And I agree with that. And I do agree that it's not for everyone. But with those people that have the fire in the belly, whether or not they have the business background, they will find a way. I've seen it. it over time and time again. So that's where I'm coming from. It's not for everyone, but for the people that it is for, like myself back at that time, I, I just I knew I would find a way. And um, so that's really what, what this was about, was that for people that really wanted to do something and they simply had a great idea, but they didn't know where to begin, I just I wrote an outline for them. And I would see that once they had some sort of guidance, boy, they were out of the gate and going. Cool. And so eventually after I had seen a lot of people really listen to what I was saying, and, and they were doing amazing things. And one of my friends who I really inspired um, left a law career and started a business called Scott E. Vest. Um, it's a technology-enabled clothing. And He's, you know, making millions of dollars and doing an incredible job, and it was the right. And he was the one that said, "You should write a book about this." And I, so I think it just kind of oh, interesting from that. So, what did you learn uh, while writing the book? Because, I mean, clearly you were capturing your learning so that other people could benefit from both your mistakes, I'm assuming, and and from the mm-hmm. things that you did write. But what did you learn? What what was kind of revealed to you through the process? I learned a lot. Um, I feel like my process happened um, pretty quickly um, as far as, you know, my, my idea and then being full into a lot of chain stores and, um, and selling the product. And so what I learned writing was that I had a lot more to say than I thought I did. I, you know, I had a word count that I had to come up with at first, and I said to my literary agent, are, are you crazy? I can't, I can't write that, you know, 80 or 40,000 words. And I was so nervous. And then it turns out in the end, I think I had 80,000 words because I really, it gave me a chance to look back and reflect and, um, you know, really take a look at each step along the way. I had never really analyzed what I did. I had just gotten started, and then I was such in the thick of it and in the center, you know, a lot of times you don't look back and um, and reflect and learn. And so really I learned each chapter that I wrote I was a, a nice reflection back and a learning experience. And uh, 
can you walk us through kind of the the format of the book? I mean, did did you take the approach that it, it would become a workbook, or is it a, a collection of stories? Yeah, it is. Um, it is a workbook. There are pages in there that's set up kind of like my original binder that was like my everything book. I would put in. It was like an address book. It was a to do list. It was um, sometimes just a journal of you know how I felt or what I wanted to do next. It was goal-oriented. And so the book is set up like that um, where you kind of carry it with you a lot and you can go back and forth from different chapters. And I also, along the way, would cut out stories that I read from different magazines like Inc. or Entrepreneur. I love the underdog stories. And so I do include um, a lot of stories under the title, If They Can Do It, So Can You?, because I think, you know, what people need to realize is that every entrepreneur starts with just that dream or that light bulb moment and goes from there. And, you know, you look at, like, Subway, which is on every street corner in everyone's neighborhood, and it started because Fred DeLuca needed a college job and submarine sandwiches were special to him. As a child, his family used to take Sunday drives to an Italian restaurant and they would buy sub sandwiches. And he, now he's a billionaire. He started out because he needed a college job. He needed some money for college, and a friend, a family friend lent him $1,000. So stories like that are featured in my book just to keep people inspired and realize that not everybody starts with deep pockets and, um, and surrounded by a whole team of people. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, uh, kind of back to the entrepreneurial tips and, and your own learning process, what have you learned that you actually wish you had known before you started your business? What would have changed uh, the outcome? That's such a good question and so hard to think about. Like that. I think the one thing I wish I had known back then was was the beauty of delegating things. I really felt like it was hard to let things go and let other people, to, you know, I was the everything in the beginning, the shipping clerk, the sales, the marketing, right. the accounting, and um, little by little, uh, and and probably longer later than I should have, um, I, I let other people in. And I think that lesson is that when you need help, you stick with the things that you're great at <laughs> and let other people come in and delegate and help and grow. Oh, I think that that is, I would put that absolutely number one. And, and one of the books that I found uh, early on that helped uh, me and, and also helped my husband a bit uh, because we work together um, was a book uh, called E-Myth and, and E-Myth Mastery, which, I, which actually came out much later. And, you know, the story there was, you know, you had somebody who was an expert at doing something, which in this particular case was baking pies. Okay. And all of her friends said, oh, you got to start a pie shop. you got to start a pie shop. And, and, you know, of course, what she found out is that, you know, having a company that sells pies is, is very, very different than, than the task of actually making them and being good at that and loving that. Yeah. And she found there were a whole bunch of things she didn't love uh, about being a businesswoman. And, uh, you know, it's just very, very interesting uh, because there, there's a whole portion of, of that book that's dedicated. I don't think that they actually called it delegation, but they, they really painted the picture of how to build the organization. Um, yeah. You know, but I think that, that that's a really great one. I, I think the other one, I, the other thing I would ask you, um, you know, kind of in the lessons learned is 
Um, do you regret having run your credit cards up as the way to start the business rather than finding seed capital with somebody who believed in you and you know figured whatever you uh, were setting out to do was something that they were willing to uh, to risk on? I really don't regret it. I think one reason is that it wasn't that high. And um, were you married at the time? I, I, I was married. That. My husband um, is a trademark lawyer, and that really helped um, – Saved some money on the trademarks and the copyrights for our designs, and um, he left practicing law uh, two years after I started the business when it was really, um, you know, clear that we had something. Um, and um, I, I, I just I don't regret it because I'm glad that I never gave a piece of the pie away, um, which a lot of people have to if you you know are are getting an investor and. So I'm glad that we retained, you know, full ownership of the business and we were able to get out of that debt. So there's nothing regrettable right. about that. Has that constrained your ability to grow now of, of fully depending on the, the business to throw off the cash flow for your growth? Um, I suppose um, it, it, you know, it could. Um, but you know, after having the, the same situation for so long, it is—I I am a creature of habit, and I, I just—I try to find a way to make it work, so that we do retain full ownership and, you know, work within our means. And and it does force you, you know, over the past few years to streamline and look at things more analytically. And right. Yeah. Interesting. You know, Sandy, one of the things that. Um, we have had a, n a number of calls with people. I actually did a radio show last spring uh, called Corporate Escape Artists, and it was mm -hmm. done in conjunction with a woman who had written uh, a book about people who, who had left corporate America. And, you know, she had some very interesting insights about what people need to have in place before they take that jump. Mm -hmm. um, do you address that in your book at all? Um, yeah, I definitely address, not necessarily before you take the jump, because my whole book, you, you can complete these 12 steps and you can still have that other security blanket or your other job right. so that you can have all of your ducks in line when the time is right for you. Um, so I, I, I definitely talk about setting up um, your, or creating your executive office um, and whether that's at, you know, at home, which I think is a great place to start, especially if you have another job, um, you know, just to take the small steps of getting um, your DBA, your fictitious business name, and your resale license. The, you know, those two documents are critical in the beginning. And to help you, once I feel like once you set up your business um, with those two things, and then you can open a separate bank account and you deal with um, – you know, finding your company name and buying the domain and eventually getting a website, setting up a separate phone number and fax machine, those type of things to make your your virtual office, but it makes the business real. Then you can take your time and do the research, you know, 10, 15 minutes a day, investigate if it's a product-based business, what's out there, what's the competition, why is your product different, but you can still have a presence. You can join trade organizations. You can get the magazines and the newspapers, and you can just, you know, have one foot in that door. I don't. I would never advise anybody like when to take that, you know, to become that corporate escape artist. But what I'm saying is that you can do little steps on the side 
to build your business so that when you're ready and you feel comfortable and you've, you've researched and you've marketed um, or done your market research, you can take that leap comfortably. What do you think is the biggest thing that holds people back? I think, well, today I think it's, you know, finance, uh, money. <laughs> and uh, But otherwise I think it's fear. I, I still find when I talk to people, I ask them that all the time, what is holding you back? And I do have a little section in my book that's, you know, you can kind of journal about it, like asking questions about yourself. I just, I think people fear failure. And that's going back to what we were talking about before, entrepreneurship, it's not for everyone because that fire in the belly, the people that really have that passion don't really think about failure. Yeah, and, you know, I would uh, classify that all also as really dogged determination. That exactly. uh, I, I used to always say when I would do interviews of people back when I was in a corporate role and having to hire people, um, you know, I, I would try to explain my style uh, by by giving the analogy of, you know, if I send you off to the grocery store, you know, to buy apples for me and, you know, wh- what's going to happen if you get to the store and they're out of apples? You know, I mean, what what are you going to do and how are you going to react or, or interact? And are you the kind of person who, who just takes instruction and if that instruction fails, um, you know, you have nowhere to go, or are you able to be agile enough actually before you leave for the store to say, well, you know, does it have to be Granny Smith? Can it be a mixture of different kinds if there aren't enough for what I need? And, you know, by the way, is the end goal actually just making a pie for a dinner party because you're having guests tonight and you're probably going to be at work late anyway, so why don't I just go to this great little bakery down the road? You know, (laughs) so I I really, I, I didn't realize it then. But what I was asking them to describe was really the mind of an entrepreneur You're right. and, and that, that person who, you know, even if they are within a corporate world, are always trying to, uh, to better things and to improve things. And, I, you know, I generally tell people that means that they're probably supposed to be outside consulting instead of <laughs> inside, uh, you know, actually doing the job. But that, that isn't necessarily true. And I, and I think, you know, quite often people do have that passion in their belly about uh, something that they love or something that they've always dreamed of. Or if you're the kind of person when you sit up late at night watching TV and watch somebody who comes on, you know, with one of those infomercials and they have this amazing yep. little product and you think, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's a good analogy, though, regarding the apples in the grocery store. I like that because it's so true in the beginning uh, stages of building a business, especially you do come up against those things all the time. You went out for apples, there are no apples. Well, I would just go to a different store. But maybe you're right. Maybe someone would just go back to the office and say, Chicky, there were no apples. <laughs> right. And I nothing makes me that. crazier. <laughs> nothing makes me crazier. And my children do that kind of thing to me. <laughs> <laughs> so you're right. I guess, you know, it's not for everyone. And I also think I am just over, you know, optimistic. I think I definitely... And a lot of entrepreneurs, I find, are um, optimistic, and they look at that there's no apples, and they they just it's immediately well, where do I go? And you you forge another path somewhere else. Now, I, you mentioned uh, that your husband had a business experience that actually helped facilitate things. I'm going to get a little personal on you now. Was was he supportive from the beginning? He really was. Um, Is he a risk taker? 
he's not necessarily a risk taker. He's in his life, he's very conservative and not really a risk taker. No, um, but his father is a patent attorney, and I think there's there's always a lot of discussion within his family about inventions and ideas. And actually, it's, it was kind of negative, um, you know, like you know. So there's so many ideas and not many people actually follow through or, you know, there's so many patents and not many of them are actually being used. And so when I did have that light bulb moment, I did kind of have the challenge, um, you know, of like, can, can I really do it? Um, but for my husband, absolutely. He said, you, you know, go ahead. You do it. Good, you know, good luck and, and I'll help you. And he did. And when I started um, boxing the orders on my own, and they didn't look so good. He was the one that would go out and get craft paper and stuff them nicely and tape them correctly and label them well. And he also, um, in college, majored in marketing. And um, he just had so many great ideas about marketing and customer service. And and he definitely had that analytical side that I was lacking. So we could deal with employee issues and insurance issues and accounting right. issues that he really kind of took, like you said, you work with your husband also. And so I don't know if people ask you, but they ask me all the time, I don't know how you work with your husband. You know, how is that? I could never, I couldn't do that. And it works for us so well because we are so different. Right. And we, we don't nag each other. I handle my stuff. He handles his stuff. We talk about the big picture things together and our goals and things. But otherwise, day to day, we handle our own goals and, and things. Well, I think that, that that's a really interesting point. And, I mean, not everybody's going to go into business with their spouse or significant other. But, you know, whoever is around you at the time you go out on your own, you know, is going to be impacted. I mean, there, there's no way that they can't be because mm-hmm. there has to be someone who's there for you through thick and thin, you know, who listens, uh, you know, to you the day that you come back and there are no apples at the store. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and you're you're dealing with all of that. But, I mean, my husband and I have worked together for 10 years. And, uh, you know, I mean, for us, it, it really was, uh, particularly when I was traveling, I mean, I would have to call home and say, uh, no, you know, I really don't want to talk to my controller right now. Can I speak to my husband? And, and you know, would have to create that separation. I think, you know, I mean, that that's true, right. um, you know, whether or not you work together. But, you know, if they're right. at all in, involved in your industry or, or you know, doing things, you, you do have to create that separation. You do. Those boundaries um, are important. Yeah. And I'm going to come back to something. Uh, I want to come back to the personal side uh, in a minute. But you said something about surrounding yourself with people who uh, actually do those things that you're not strong in. And and I think one of the things that we do in our consulting practice is we help people. We actually have a very, very simple grid. And, you know, you just draw a a, a T on your – or a a plus sign, actually, a large plus sign on a piece of paper. And on the top uh, left, you put the word love. And on the top right, you put the word hate. Mm -hmm. And on, on the top left, you put do well. And, and on the bottom left, you put do badly. And, you know, I think taking realistic stock and, in fact, sitting down with your best friend or perhaps your spouse if you have been working together and, and getting their perspective on what you really do well. And, and uh, you know those things that you hate, but a lot of times we get sucked into things uh, that we hate and do well. And, uh, you know, particularly in corporate life, that happens all the time. Um, but it really is those things that you either 
hate or things that you love and do badly that you should very, very quickly in an entrepreneurial scenario either outsource or those should be the first people that you hire as people to, uh, you know, to handle those things. It's okay. I always tell people it's okay to manage those things that you do well and hate. You know, so manage other people to do those things for you. Uh, but, you That's know, true. really do your best not to live in that upper right quadrant because it's a miserable place to live. I agree. That's that's a good exercise. I like that. Well, you can add that to version two of your book. I will. <laughs> Thank you. You can attribute it to the solutions group. <laughs> I will, absolutely. I think that is really, that's an important step. So let's let's come back to, uh, to the question I really wanted to ask, uh, you know, about your personal life. So, what has the impact of your your business been on your personal life, and, and do you still have your office at home, or have you moved out? I still, starting with the last part, I still have my office at home because I've always loved working at home. Um, when I started my business, I um, I. I had my first son in 1995, so my business was just, um, it was really busy at that point. Um, but I had always wanted to be a mom as well, and I, I think the timing was really um, great for me at that time because I, and with my husband in the business as well, I definitely set boundaries at that time that um, I would work in the morning, I would work in the evening, and I worked during nap time. And the other times, I really spent a lot of time with my kids I went to the mommy and me classes. People didn't even know I worked. I mean, I, was, I really was present for my kids. I knew there were just a few years before they started kindergarten. And then I really went back to the business um, a little bit more. But I, my family is the top priority. My business has been my second priority. And it definitely has, um, you know, I didn't grow as big as I could have um, during those years um, but I don't regret that. I mean, I, I knew what I was doing at that time, that I was taking time away from the business to grow a rich family life. And I feel like I did that, and um, and now I'm back at work again more because my kids are older and, and have full schedules on their own now. So if for everybody, the boundaries are different, but I did set my priorities consciously at that time, and um, I worked out of the house because I could juggle so much better um, going back and forth from things and getting, I feel like I got so much more done having my office at home, and I, I still love that juggle. Well, you. Uh, one of my next questions was actually about life balance, and I think you just answered it beautifully uh, because you know I think that that's really the challenge. And and one of the things that working at home affords you is the ability to do that. Uh, you know, and and I have worked at home for the last two years. I've I've been on my own for 15, and and the bulk of that I've had an office. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, two years ago, had to sell our, our office building because we had uh, invested in an entrepreneurial venture that went south, and, and uh, that was one of our, our ways to kind of recover uh, at least some of what we had lost. Right. And, uh, you know, so I – actually, I've got a 9-year-old and, a, and an 11-year-old, and so working at home uh, isn't so challenging during the school year, although this year we moved them into pro- uh, public school out of private school, and I don't know if other people are seeing this all over the country, but our kids have early release, like at noon, it seems like every other week oh. uh, on, on certain days. And so the kids are home more of the day than I would like, right. <laughs> you know, simply, uh, you know, because I do radio shows and things where, you know, it really is best 
to have a, at least a little bit of quiet. Right. Um, but, you know, the summer times were the things that, that uh, you know, were, were going to produce the most challenge. But, you know, I think in most businesses these days, the ability to get work done at night after the kids are in bed or after your husband's in bed, you uh-huh. know, if there really are things that you had to uh, reprioritize during the day, it's just a whole lot easier, uh, you know, with electronics and, and uh, you know, just the different tools. Um, you know, yeah. I do want to make sure that we leave a little bit of uh, of time for for questions. Um, but you know, I mean, I I'm going to ask this question a little bit differently than I did earlier. You know, that as as you set about starting your business, um, well, actually, let me ask another question that I hadn't posed to you in advance. Um, did you have a mentor through this whole process? I looked at um, those inspirational stories that I had cut out. Every single one of those people I would consider a mentor in some respect, even though I never met them and they don't know me. Um, So I do consider all of those stories that I read and all of those people that I admire my mentors. But I also had a great experience. Um, I was watching an Oprah show one day after I had had my light bulb moment, and it was about women entrepreneurs, and it was three women and um, all of them, like my idea, they, they just upgraded an already existing product and were having huge success in the marketplace. They didn't invent anything new. And so I contacted um, all three of the women, and one of the women called me back, and um, her name was Carol Green, and she had a, um, a company, a lingerie company, and Hers was similar because she was really one of the first people to bring to the marketplace sexy girdles. She was a model, and after she had kids, you know, she needed a little tummy tucking, and so she made this product. We talked on the phone for an hour. She lived in Chicago. I lived in Los Angeles. Um, She was so helpful, and it just so happened that a couple weeks later, she was in Los Angeles on a family vacation, and she called me and said, if you want any more advice or you want to have lunch, and we had lunch for a few hours. She was so generous and gave me great advice. And um, so even though we met just that once, I feel like she I would say she was my first mentor and really gave me the confidence to believe that I was right and that, um, you know, I can start and I can do this and it's a good idea. And um, it also in my book I do talk about reaching out to people And if somebody doesn't want to necessarily take on that position of being your mentor, I still think there's so many people that want that are happy to talk to you about their experience and help, happy to share. And um, you know, I still meet mentors through networking groups and stuff all the time. Right. I think I consider just people that are helpful or inspirational to me, in in a sense, mentors. Great. Well, listen, I'd like to uh, to open it up for questions. Uh, do we have any questions from our listeners? Who would like to go first? Let me put it that way. Oh, <laughs> Kiki and oh. Cecilia. Uh, oh. I don't have a question, but I do have um, just a comment. If that's is that appropriate? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I just wanted to say um, this is this. What a fantastic call! Thank you so much for your time. A lot of what you said really resonated with me, and I kind of jotted down some notes because I actually also teach entrepreneurship at inner city schools here in the Boston area to young kids. 
Um, and I always, one of the things that really stood out to me was that you were saying that a lot of people have fear and that's what stops them from, you know, moving forward. And I always tell the kids that um, fear of failure, it just doesn't exist. And, and one of the things that kind of, I think, got me over the hurdle of the pain and the suffering of, you know, getting this whole thing going is that the, the, the notion of failure never really even occurred to me. It just wasn't even in existence. And I was ignorant to it so much so that I look back now and think, oh, my gosh, I didn't even realize how close I was to the edge. Um, but now I look back and say, um, failure really doesn't exist um, when you're an entrepreneur because the only thing that exists is the opportunity to learn from things that you can do differently. And I always tell my kids that, and I, you know, I think it came out in this call also. And I, I also want to commend you on con re like staying in your marriage <laughs> through this whole thing <laughs> because uh, I actually started um, this company with my boyfriend, and um, our business relationship has grown stronger. You know, our, our personal relationship completely fell apart, and we're business partners today, and we adore each other, but I just don't know how you do it, and congratulations. Uh, I admire you so much. <laughs> oh, thank you. I admire so much what you're doing, and being such an incredible mentor, I'm sure you're touching so many lives that you don't even know the impact that you're probably likely having on those kids, and what a gift you're giving. I think that's that's terrific. I really admire that. So thank Thanks. you for, for, for listening. And... That's great. Do we have any other questions? Okay, well, let, let me just chime in uh, with another one because, uh, you know, again, I, I think that this whole personal aspect of the business is, is one that doesn't get a lot of attention. And, and uh, you know, you mentioned all of the different ways that you uh, found support and, uh, you know, how have you taken the book and, and how have you reached out, uh, you know, to others to provide your support to others who are going through, you know, the entrepreneurial crunch, uh, you know, depending on what stage they're in? Well, to me, this has been the most fun part of having the book is going to events and talking and meeting people that are in that beginning stage of startup and just helping in any way I can as far as giving advice and direction and inspiration and I I really enjoy that part. I don't have a consulting business. I really just I I love connecting with people and um giving whatever advice I can and um you know, I, I've been there for people that I know, for friends that have started or friends of friends or acquaintances, and I feel like I've been very accessible, and people know that if they have a question or they think it's a dumb question or whatever, they know that they can call me. I'm not going to laugh at them, and um, I'm just going to support people, and, um, you know, if I can do it, they can do it. Well, I think that that, that really is, is the the whole thing that, we really need to communicate as entrepreneurs and, and to Cecilia's point, uh, you know, the learning quite often comes from failure, not from success. And, uh, you know, the last three years of my life uh, as, as uh, what I considered a first-time entrepreneur, although I've had my own company for 15 years, which may sound, uh, you know, like a, a contradiction, but I, I don't believe that uh, being a, a service industry entrepreneur uh, you know, such as a consultant where, you know, if, if you actually don't have enough business, you know, you do go back uh, perhaps to corporate life. But when you've got payroll and when you've got uh, facilities and when you've got, um, you know, outsourced contracts that you have to meet, uh, it it takes you to a whole 
different level. <laughs> and, and um, you know, it, it's really what I call that, that level of, of commitment as an entrepreneur where there is no turning back. And, and again, to Cecilia's point, uh, you know, usually at that juncture, the word failure just, just is not in your vocabulary. You, you can't cope with the enormity of, of what you have done. And, and I often said in, in that business, you know, where I ended up raising $7 million and, you know, building out industry-changing technology, that had I really realized what I was doing, I, I'm not sure I ever would have stepped off the cliff. Um, I but, I, but I'm not – I don't think – I think there's kind of a, a – a, uh, I don't know, kind of a precious numbness that, that kind of sets in at that time where you're just so focused on what you're doing that you really don't think – about the long term long enough to let it scare you out of taking that step. That's so true. Such a good point. I have said ignorance is bliss more than once. <laughs> Cuz it's true. You just you have that laser focus and you can't even imagine uh the enormity of of failure if it had come at that point. So right. You don't think about it. Yeah, and, you know, I think it's uh, another interesting thing, just coming back to the, the times that we are living in. Um, you know, it's so different starting a business in 2010. I'm, I'm starting yeah. yet another new company. Uh, wow. Have have just started uh, actually last month and launched a new venture uh, in the social media uh, commerce or actually social commerce area of, of marketing a, a platform uh, that was developed by another party because, I mean, my lesson learned was I didn't have to own the technology. And the right. first time around, I thought I had to own everything and, and that the intellectual property was really at the core of everything. Well, it's not. Guess what? Revenue is at the core of everything. That's so true. <laughs> and, and so this time, you know, I mean, I'm taking the lessons learned, and I actually just wrote my first business book, actually just a chapter in a compilation book called Bootstrap Business. Great. And, and uh, you know, what I've learned specifically over the last year and even the last two years in building the Executive Girlfriends Group is, you know, everything doesn't take money. And when you right. come out of a corporate environment where, you know, you always did things with all the proper planning and all of that, um, you know, and, uh, you know, you're thinking about uh, doing something that in, in the past took an enormous budget. Well, there, there are amazing tools available now over open source platforms. And, you know, we have technology available in our iPhones that, you know, I mean, used to cost huge amounts of money. <laughs> So, so you know, there are just so many ways to, to do things uh, really on the cheap uh, until you can afford to do them right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just really encourage uh, people who are thinking about stepping out to find somebody, you know, who can uh, be your sounding board. And, you know, whether it's a formal mentor relationship or not, um, mm -hmm. you know, and not be afraid to pick up the phone and, and call somebody who, who's an author. They're remarkably easy to reach. <laughs> right. Uh, as right. I have found out, uh, you know, in my last two years, both with the Executive Girlfriends Group and with my radio shows. And, uh, you know, just, just ask the question. And, and again, coming back to your point of uh, finding out what it is that you don't do well and ask. Yep. And delegate if, if you have people you can delegate to. Exactly. And people will help you. In the beginning, I did have a network of family that would help me package things at the last minute or help me put UPC stickers on things. And I think when people see that you have a passion for something and you're willing to work hard, you'll see people coming out of the woodwork to help you for free. Yeah in the beginning and I, I highly recommend that you take advantage of people to you know say yeah you know what I would love that help and an hour or two here and there and um, you know that's that's a good point that 
there is, you know, just to reach out and people. Exactly. And and one of the phrases that you should master is this, can I run this by you? <laughs> I like that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Sandy, it has just been terrific. Can you let people know uh, two things? One, how can they find your book? Remind them of the name. And then how can they get in touch with you? Sure, and I welcome any comments, feedback, questions, anything. I, I love hearing from people. The book, again, is called Your Idea, Inc., and it's available in all of the bookstores and on Amazon.com, and you can reach me through the book's website, which is Your Idea, Inc., I-N-C.com, Your Idea, Inc.com, and um, my, my other business, Moisture Jams, Dot com, which is moisture and then J-A-M-Z-Z dot com. You can reach me through either of those websites. And where can they buy Moisture Jams? Well, you can buy them on the website or they're in lots of um, beauty supply stores and, um, you know, salons and spas, resorts, all of that. So, um, But it's always available on our website, too. Well, great. Well, we have a lot of women uh, in the Executive Girlfriends Group organization that are actually uh, in very, very large hospitality organizations. So uh, oh. if you happen to get some uh, some big hospitality business as a result of this, please let me know. We always like I to will. hear success stories of, of how, uh, how our guests and uh, our members have connected. Absolutely. And if anybody calls me from a Chicky Referral or the Executive Girlfriends Network, I will definitely give a discount. So <laughs> okay, that. wonderful. Well, I will be happy to put a little ad on our website for you if you want to give me that artwork. That would be terrific. Absolutely. Thank you, Chicky. I really appreciate it. Okay, great. Sandy, thank you so much. And thanks for everybody listening, listening live and those of you who are listening on demand. Take care. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.